Morning's Bible reading comes from Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 18 through to verse 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealings of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the first... Oh, hang on. Oh, no, that's right in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Thank you for doing that reading. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. We thank you for inspiring Paul to write this letter to the Romans. We thank you that it teaches us about how sinful we are, but also how amazingly gracious you are. We ask now, as we think about what it means to suffer well in this Christian life, that you would be with us, that you would speak to us by your word and by your spirit, and use today to make us more like your son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, let me introduce you to Garfield, Garfield Jersey Fanta. Here he is, Um, the third brother, if you will, effectively making Jared a middle child, which might explain a little bit. Um, Isn't he cute? Garfield, not Jared. Um, So little Garfield came into our family back in 2003 when I was just nine years old. I can still picture the day that dad walked into the house carrying this little treasure. He moved with us from America to England to Australia, and he was one of my best friends. I'd finish work, I'd get home, I'd grab some Cocoa Pops and hit the couch, and he would nestle up in my lap. And then he'd sleep right by my pillow late at night. 
genuinely such a special friend of mine. But little Garfield got older and he got sick. He wasn't doing so great, so we took him to the emergency vet and we were worried for the little guy. But thankfully he did make a recovery for a while. But then he got sick again. He'd been in my life for 16 years and it came the day when we had to have him put down. We went into one of those back rooms at the vet and they probably told us what was about to happen as he lay sedated on the bench. And then they let me pat him as they gave him the injection. And I stared into his little eyes as his life drifted away. I was sad. I was devastated. But I was also furious. I was angry at God. How could this happen? Is this really it? Yeah, he was a cat, but he was my cat. I knew him and he knew me. And now I'm not going to see him anymore. So what did I do with all of this anger? I made inquiries into a boxing gym because I wanted to take it out on something. I can show you the emails if you don't believe me. I also considered getting a tattoo, basically to spite God. You see, I couldn't bear the thought of being in heaven for many, many years and then forgetting that I had a little friend back here on earth. And I thought something like this, if I get his name tattooed on my body, then maybe that will still be there in the new creation and I would have a memory of Garfield. The question for today is, how do you respond to suffering? We see that was my response, a boxing trial and a tattoo. That's how I went about it. Let me ask you, how would you respond to suffering? And is this the way that Paul counsels Christians to respond? I'm genuinely so glad that I get to share with you from this passage today, one for me that has been so personally reassuring and comforting. We're jumping into the end of Romans chapter 8, which begs the question of what's happened so far in the book of Romans. To put it in a few sentences, Paul has spent time talking to people about just how sinful people are, both Jews and Gentiles. And therefore, everyone is deserving of God's wrath and God's judgment. But he's also shown us how amazing God's grace is for sinners just like us. Where God the Father sent his only son into the world to die in the place of his enemies, to take their punishment upon himself, and to bring them into his family as adopted children and heirs. It's a very quick overview of Romans 1 to 8. And the verse that's immediately before our passage says this. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We like the final part about being glorified with Christ, but we're not such a fan of the suffering part just before. And people talk about the cross coming before the crown. And that's what Paul is picturing for us here. And then he goes on, as was read earlier in verses 19 to 25, to talk about how creation and us as people are longing for our future hope. I think it can be said that Paul is addressing the elephant in the room here. Let me explain. If we've been in such a desperate and sinful and pitiful state due to our sin, and then we've been saved to an incredible eternity, secure with God, then what's, what's happening now? Because we live in a hurting and a broken world with suffering for Christians too. 
You see, we're living in a time that's called the now and the not yet, as people call it. Jesus has come to earth the first time, but we're awaiting his second coming. And so as Paul pictures it for us, creation and us are longing for the future, for things to be put right for the way they should be. If you have a look, if you've still got your Bibles open, at verse 21, where things will be liberated, set free and brought into eternal life. As we also read, the glory that is to come is going to be so much greater than the suffering we feel now. It'll be like waiting for a child to be born, painful for a while, but amazing at the end. So we wait with hope, and this is the hope that we've been saved to in verse 24. And though we don't see it or have it, we wait patiently for it in verse 25. We all know this, and we all feel this. We know that life isn't easy. And Paul goes on in these verses to teach us a few more things. He teaches us that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us in our battle against our old selves, in not knowing what to pray, in hoping and longing for the better future reality. And the Spirit asks for God's will for our lives, which is a good thing, the best thing. Have you ever hoped for something better? Have you ever been left feeling that things just aren't quite right, something's missing? When I was a child, I was basically invincible. I was that kid who'd never broken a bone, who can run with boundless energy for days on end. I'd fall over and like a rock-solid two-year-old, I'd be straight back up on my feet just to keep going. But now, and I'm not the only person who feels like this, this once invincible body is falling apart. If I was a professional soccer player at 29 years old, I should be in my physical prime. But instead, my muscles hurt in the warm-up. And I've broken this hand playing basketball and this hand playing soccer. And I have a varicose vein. Here's what one website says about that condition. Statistically, varicose veins predominantly affect women and older adults. I'm a 29-year-old dude, and this once invincible body is falling apart. I'm groaning for something better, for the new creation where this failing body will be made immortal. Our bodies are waiting for redemption and creation is longing to be liberated from this decay. You see, there is another world out there, the one that we were made for, the one that comes after this life. And when you think about it, we're going to spend a lot longer there than we ever will spend here. That's a wonderful truth to remember in itself. But let's keep going, and we're going to spend some time looking at these final few verses. Paul is going to tell us something incredibly important. He's going to tell us a promise, and he's going to tell us who's included in it. Have a look at verse 28 with me as we see who's included. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his, promise, his purpose. What an incredible promise that is. But who does it apply to? It seems to apply to those who love God. Well, there's something that that doesn't mean and there's something that that does mean. It doesn't mean that the truth of this promise in your life depends on how well you go at loving God. 
To think about that would be to treat God like Santa Claus and think that him giving you this promise is like Santa giving you gifts and you're only going to get it if you're on the good list, not the naughty list. You see, that turns the focus away from God and makes it about us and our works. Remember Abraham and how he was gifted righteousness? So when it says those who love God and it's not talking about how well we do at performing in that, then what can it mean? We read in the rest of the verses the chain of ideas for new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. It's telling us that those who love God are those who are called by God. Those that God has called in line with making a purpose, in, with his purpose of making a group of people, a family, a kingdom of people who are like the Lord Jesus. And how do you know if you've been called by God? We see those who have been called by God are those who trust God, those who trust in the Lord Jesus. So as you sit here today, if you trust the Lord Jesus to be saved, then you are called by God and a part of that group who loves God. Not because you're really great at loving God, but because you've accepted and trusted God's work in your life to make you more like Jesus. It's that when we hold on to Jesus, it turns out he was holding on to us first. You see, if we think it's only for those who are really good at doing the loving God thing, then some days we're going to feel like we can rely on this promise, and other days we're going to think it doesn't apply to us. But you see, God's promises don't rest on us. They rest on him, and he is faithful. He always has been, and he always will be. So that means however good or however bad we're feeling, this promise applies to those who trust in Jesus. If you're sitting today and you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus before, we're so glad that you've decided to spend your Sunday morning here with us. And we'd encourage you to keep investigating Jesus. We truly believe that he is the Lord and Savior, the Holy Son of God. And that we have freedom now and hope for eternity because of what he did for us in dying and rising again to life. Well, this promise we're going to hear a bit more about now applies to those who trust Jesus. And it's a wonderful promise indeed. Let's read verse 28 again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What does this actually mean? And how can it be talking about good coming from suffering? There's no way good can come out of pain, right? We'll look at verse 29. It talks about how God is conforming people into the image of his son, which means that God is making people more like Jesus. This means that we have a promise from the sovereign creator of everything that even in, right in the middle of those most painful moments of suffering, that God is going to use this to make us more like his holy and perfect son, Jesus. And that promise is something to hold on to in the storms of life. Whether you're feeling it yet or not, suffering will come. You're going to face things that don't make sense, that hurt deeply, that keep you up at night because they weigh so heavily on your mind. And Jesus is honest with us that what following him is going to be like. This life is hard and we will suffer for being a Christian. 
There's no doubt about that. But even in that suffering, we have hope. We have a future hope that we can look forward to. And we know that God is walking through our suffering with us. But we also know that God is able to work all things together for the good of those who love him. What an incredible promise we have. We know that suffering is going to come, and that's not a a pleasant thought. We don't like that idea. But it's also a wonderful opportunity to testify to God's goodness and his grace in a world that thinks the only way to respond to suffering is avoidance, hatred, despair. There are many types of suffering that we're going to face in this life. Um, And this verse is a wonderful and powerful strength for all of them. But I'd like to just mention a couple today. Firstly, there's a type of suffering where you might understand or think you know how God could work this together for good. It might hurt, but you might think you're able to see the bigger picture or you might have an idea about how God's going to work things together. We can see things this way at times, and I think that can make it easier for us to hold up under the suffering. But even in times like that, our confidence shouldn't be in how well we think we can understand our suffering. But our confidence should be in our God who gives us this promise, who's able to work even that suffering together for the good of those who love him, even if things don't end up how we expect. But there's another type of suffering where you just have absolutely no idea how God is going to work this together for your good. Where it just doesn't seem possible that something so horrible could be used by God for good. Even though that type of suffering is awful, is confusing, and comes with unbearable pain, this promise is still completely true. God is still working things together for the good of those who love him. Maybe it's the death of a loved one or the end of a friendship or sickness. But just because it doesn't make sense to us, it doesn't mean that God has failed on his promises. You see, God will never fail on any of his promises, not a single one, ever. And how do you know whether a promise is true? You see, whether a promise is true or not actually has nothing to do with our feelings about whether it is true. The deciding factor is not whether we feel it's true or not, but on the trustworthiness of the one who made it. Let's say Jared promised me that one of these beams wasn't going to fall on my head while I was preaching. I may walk in here nervous, sweating, apprehensive, because there's lots of them, and any one of them could fall. I don't feel like that promise is true, but I trust Jared. So whether I feel like it's going to fall or not, one of the beams is not going to fall, Because he is trustworthy. And that's far more important than how I feel about it. You might wonder what to do when your feelings disagree. When they say something is wrong. But I want to let you in on a secret today. Your feelings are not the boss. They don't own you and they are not always right. You see, feelings can be incredibly helpful. They can be a wonderful guide at times, but they make a terrible master. Feelings can be unhelpful, misleading, and just downright wrong and deceptive. But as you trust in Jesus, if if your feelings ever tell you this passage isn't true, or that it can't be true because things just hurt too much, 
then fight back those feelings. Fight back with the rock-solid promises of the Word of God. Because they tell us who God is and what He has promised to us. This can be really easy to talk about in theory, but really hard in practice. Because when suffering comes, the first thing we want to do is throw our fists up in the air and get angry at God. You might want to become bitter and resentful and start questioning his goodness and his faithfulness. You might also want to sign up for a trial at a boxing gym or get a tattoo out of spite. Whether you're experiencing suffering in this moment or not, I want to encourage you to train your instincts to draw near to God in that pain, not to distance yourself from him. And to help, I want to share a couple examples of how I've seen this play out. Uh, One from my own observations of others, and then a couple from the Bible. Over the past few years, I've had a chance to spend time with a couple of people who have lost their spouses. One day during worship, I was standing next to a husband who had lost his wife to cancer. Sometimes the suffering of others is hidden from us, but on this day, I was very aware at what this man had gone through. But there was something powerful about standing alongside this brother in Christ and hearing him sing out the words of those worship songs because you knew this wasn't theoretical for him. This was real and this was painful, but God still held him in the palm of his hands, was there for him and gave him the hope that meant that he could stand there and sing of the truth of God's promises because they were still true. And we see this in the Bible as well. Think of Joseph. One of the clearest verses in the Bible um, that speaks about this is right at the end of Genesis, Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about it that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, sinful, wicked, and evil humans had their plan. But God was able excuse me, to work the suffering in Joseph's life out for good and for his good as well. And there's another that we read of in the pages of Scripture who is at the mercy of evil and wicked men. One who suffered immensely in a seemingly hopeless and pitiful situation where the Holy Son of God hung on a Roman cross like a criminal. And while the wicked thought they had won, putting Jesus to death, God was at work, working his wonderful plan together, bringing good out of this painful and horrific situation, whereby salvation for sinners like us was made possible because of his grace and his mercy. If you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus before, I encourage you to not wait any longer before coming to him in repentance and faith. Put your trust in the only one who can save you from your sins. To the one who is in total control, to the one who is loving and merciful and compassionate. If that's something you'd like to do this day, please do come and find me afterwards or talk to Jared. Both of us would love to talk more about that with you. But if you're someone who is trusting in the Lord Jesus, 
I want to encourage you today that even in those times and moments of pain in your life, this passage doesn't guarantee you that you won't feel pain or that it won't hurt or that you won't shed a tear or two or many. But it does guarantee that God is faithful to his promises, that it will work out for good. And that good is being made more like the Lord Jesus. As we finish, let me ask you, how would Paul encourage a younger version of me to go through suffering? Would he come with me to the boxing gym and hold the bag while I pounded out my furious anger at God? Would he help me choose which font to get Garfield's name tattooed on my arm? That's not how he'd help me through suffering, is it? I hope you've seen from today that Paul would point me to a letter that he wrote to the Roman church a few thousand years ago. He would open it up and look down for chapter 8. He'd scroll across to verse 28 and he would say, Michael, we know that in all things, including the death of your beloved cat Garfield, God is working things together for good, making you more like the Lord Jesus. And even though it hurts, and it hurts a lot, you can trust him in and through your suffering. Because he is good, he is loving, and he is right there with you. Thank you.